Miss Henschel was the filthiest woman I ever met. <laughs> Miss Henschel was the filthiest woman I ever met. My first pastor was Logan Square First Baptist Church in Chicago. It was in the heart of the city. And I was a student pastor, and one day after church, just like you do, Joyce and I were talking about church, and she said, Steve, I saw a cockroach run across the back of the pew this morning. And I said, no, 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 surely not. And she insisted. Well, we began to pay a little more attention to the congregation, and I thought, how difficult would it be to actually grow a church if cockroaches were running across the back of the pews? Well, not only did I learn that, about that, but then sometime later, uh, folks said to me, do you realize Miss Henschel smells? Now, most of my life, I've been blessed with a stuffed-up nose, so I don't really smell anything. Smells don't bother me. Well, uh, she not only was filthy, she smelled. I could tell many stories about Miss Henschel, uh, and I'll refrain, but suffice it to say, I knew her many years. I was never invited into her house until one cold January when we had missed her. I called the police after trying to find her. I couldn't find her, so we literally broke into her gated house and found her with hypothermia, passed out. She survived and came back, but that was my introduction to a house which was filled from floor to ceiling with rubbish, and she had lots of cats. Did I mention that? Lots of cats. The good thing is they kept the rats away. Uh, she also had dogs in the house. Cold winter, they didn't get out much. I won't go any further. As I said, Miss Henschel was a filthy woman, but Miss Henschel was also the most generous woman I ever met. She was in church every Sunday morning, and uh, she gave us this microwave. One Sunday after church, and this would have been the late 70s, early 80s, uh, she came up to me, and she, as she would often do, she'd have a little twinkle in her eyes and smile on her face. She's hard of hearing, so she had to talk loudly. And she said, does your wife have a microwave? And I said, no. And that's all I said. Forgot about it. And then Goldblatt's department store. Anybody know about Goldblatt's? Two of us. Joyce does. You were in Chicago. Yeah. Anyhow, Goldblatt's called and said, when can we deliver your microwave? And so they delivered us this GE microwave. Well, I should have washed it. Um, and we've had it ever since. And this morning, uh, Miss Henschel has long gone to the Lord. But I wanted to bless her by talking to you about this microwave. Now, for years, Joyce has said to me, you know, this big clunky thing, we have to get rid of it. It doesn't fit in the kitchen. And I've said, absolutely not. Miss Henschel gave us that, and we're keeping it. Besides that, I don't like the new microwaves. They have all these buttons, and I can't, my eyes are going. I can't see the stuff on them anymore. I don't know which button to push. This is easy. You set the dial to one, two, three, whatever you want. You push the button, and it runs. Every microwave should be so easy. Not only that, if you want the temperature, you can put the temperature where you want it. You can actually, they gave us a little thing you can stick in a turkey and set this and plug it in. I never used it, but uh, this is a great microwave oven. Anybody ever see a microwave like this? A few of us folks have. You're identifying yourself as older if you have. You realize that. Um, anyhow, a few weeks ago, a tragedy struck at our house because I went to use the microwave and guess what? It didn't work. 
Now, I actually realize I think it's just the timer, because if I would hold down the button, it would still get stuff hot. So I said, well, you know, I could just hold the button down, and it would continue to heat up, and we'd be okay. But I think probably after today's service, um, the microwave is going to go away permanently. But I'm going to kind of use it for a pulpit today. (laughs) No, No clapping. I'd like to talk to you today about mission, and I hope you'll find one of these uh, bulletin inserts. Last Sunday, we talked about the ten top reasons to give, and I, the point of the sermon was to encourage you, to motivate you to be a generous giver. And I tried to do that by looking at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We talked about giving. We talked about the reality God wants us to give. So it, I really was excited to try and motivate you to be a giver. Now, I'm not leaving the theme of giving. I'm just coming at it from another angle. And next week, I'm going to come at it from yet another angle. But I'd like to talk to you this morning really about the subject of mission. And I'd like to invite you and say, let's go on a mission. Tommy talked about his mission trip to the Ukraine. And uh, we were going to show you a video of a mission trip uh, of the um, some missionaries in Kikongo, Democratic Republic of Congo. Joyce and I have been there. It was a blessed time. Uh, But today I want to invite you, let's go on mission. And the first thing that I want you and I to realize is God is on mission. It's correct to say the God we believe in as Christians is a missionary God. And I want to basically look at John chapter 1 this morning. And if you would join me in looking at verse 14... John, of course, opens with this amazing statement, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on in this very poetic fashion. And you come down to verse 14, and he comes back to that Word, the Word, Logos, and he comes back to that, and he says this, and I'd like you to read this with me. Very important verse. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory... Glory as that of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I want to highlight or emphasize just three words there. The word flesh, the word dwelt, and the word became. We're going to focus on that for just a moment. The scripture says, the word became sarks, flesh, carne. You go to the store and you order carne asada. Another way to say it, and it's rather crude, is the word became meat. Now, John is very skilled in his writing, a poet, really. And as he writes, it's strange that he would use such a a blunt word like this, sarks, flesh, meat. But he does. And in one sense, he's fighting certain beliefs within the community because he wants those who read this to realize the Word, this divine Word in heaven, who was not a person, became a person, a human being, with skin and bones and blood, sarks, meat, flesh. The Word became flesh. Now, he goes on to say, dwelt among us. And I I love this word because uh, it's also used in 2 Corinthians 5, one of my favorite passages about when I do a funeral or a memorial service, because there we read the same word, and the Scripture talks about the fact that we live or we dwell in this tent. And our body is described like a tent, which is a great description, because if you've ever been in a tent, you know how temporary tents are. I mean, they're good to go camping in, but if it's really cold or really wet or really windy, a tent's not too good. They're temporary, and so is our body. 
It's a tent. We dwell here for a while before going on to the tent or dwelling not made with human hands, but made by God in eternity. So we read that this flesh came here and it tented a while among us. And it's the word says the word became flesh. And it's like we're going back with a snapshot in time. This really happened at a time in place and point in history, and it's not going to happen again. The Word will not become flesh again. That's done. And so this is a a rather huge or remarkable statement, and I've given you some quotes there. Uh, One commentator I was reading said, this is the shortest and best description of what we call the incarnation. That word carne, you hear it? Incarnation, the becoming flesh, God in human form. Uh, some writers have said this, uh, C.S. Lewis called it the grand miracle, this verse, this idea. Another person said, the statement, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, is one of the most significant and memorable ever penned. Its Im- implications are limitless. Dorothy Sayers wrote, we may call this doctrine, that is this idea of God becoming human form, flesh, the incarnation. We may call this doctrine exhilarating, or we may call it devastating. We may call it a revelation, or we may call it rubbish. But if we call it dull, then what in heaven's name is worthy to be called exciting? And I like that. If this text, this idea of the word becoming flesh is dull, then what on earth is exciting? Now, I said a moment ago, God is on mission, and it's fair to say, well, what is the mission? What is the mission God is on? And there are two words I want to use to describe this. First of all, the word light shows up several times in this passage. So God is on a mission as he brings light into the darkness. Light always beats darkness. Light always trumps darkness. Light is more powerful than darkness. So one way John describes this coming is that the light breaks into the darkness. And he said there's a struggle, but the darkness cannot overcome the light. It never will. And then secondly, um, if you go, if you have your Bible open, I'm going to look at John 3.17. That's not a misstatement. I didn't mean 16. I meant 17. John 3.17. And the question is, what is God's mission? And we read here in John 3.17, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. I like that statement. <laughs> That's good news. He did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but so why did he send the Son? But in order that the world might be saved through him. That's good news. And so God's mission is to save the world as he sends the Son into the world. Now, as John writes this. He's already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke probably, and he doesn't want to write it the same old way, the birth story, the manger, the babe. So he writes in this dramatic fashion, the, the Word became flesh and lived for a while with us. The old statement is, he tabernacled among us. Now, that's good news, and I, I wrote down, and I like this, um, the fact that uh, light has come into the world, and a light in a cave is worthless unless you know where you're going. And God's light not only brightens things, it gives us guidance. If you've been in a cave, and you've, they turned out the lights, you know how dark it is. Now, if you're in a commercial cave, you could probably get out of there without any light, because they have sidewalks. But if you're in a real wild cave, and you're in a room, and they suddenly turn on the lights, 
That's helpful. It's beautiful to see the stalactites and the stalagmites and all the stuff in the cave. But you probably can't get out of there if somebody doesn't point you this tunnel, not that way, not up, not down, over here. You know, there's, it's, you need guidance to get out. And God's light not only brightens our lives, but it gives us guidance. And so God is on a mission. God is on a mission. Be sure of that. The mission is to save the world. But God likes to delegate. The divine likes to delegate. And that leads, uh, leads us to our next point, which is God invites you to join the mission. I actually had a bunch of these verses, but I decided not to read them all. Point is, I could read many more than this. But in John chapter 1, verse 43, Jesus is beginning his ministry. And I want to pick up on just two words. The idea here is God invites us to join God on mission. Verse 43 says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And from the beginning here to the end of the book, Jesus is always saying, Follow me. Now, we've had a lot of Fuller students and other seminary students in our church over the years, and I like to say to a young student, What's your calling? And sometimes they have a clear sense of calling, sometimes they do not. But we use that expression as another way of saying, what does God want you to do? Why are you here? What are you supposed to be doing? What is your calling? And God calls people to follow Him. He sends them on mission. And I want to give you just a couple of uh, examples of God sending folks on mission. Uh, This old microwave is is an example of one of the best missionaries I ever knew. In spite of her filth and uh, her smell, Miss Henshaw was an amazing missionary. And she got into our hearts. She spent every Christmas with us. She spent Thanksgivings at our house if we weren't at my mother-in-law's. And uh, we dearly loved Miss Henschel. Well, I, one time we had a youth pastor, Chuck Westerman, very smart guy. And uh, this was back in the day when we generally wore a tie and coat, you know, to church. And so that's the way we dressed on Sunday morning. And Chuck was preaching, and he said, Steve, I'm going to wear some old work clothes. Is that okay? And I said, sure. Now, it wouldn't have looked out of place today, I know, but anyhow, stay with me here. You know, people are used to seeing us in coats and ties and so forth. And Chuck preached from the Gospels a story about a worker. So he wanted to sort of symbolize that worker by his dress. So he did that. It was a great sermon. Well, after church that day, Miss Henschel came to somebody, Chuck's wife or somebody, and said, what, what size clothes does Chuck wear? And we had Sunday night in those days, Sunday night church. We were real Christians back then, right? Uh, anyhow, I'm glad we don't have Sunday night church. Uh, but guess what Miss Henschel showed up with that night? Clothes. Brand new. She bought him a shirt. She bought him different stuff. And she brought it and gave it to Chuck. That was just the way she was. Every year I'd see about March or April the twinkle in her eye, the smile, and she'd call me aside and say, uh, how much is Vacation Bible School going to cost this year? And I'd say, I have no idea. And she said, well, find out. And so I'd talk to the right folks. And she never married. She never had any children. Uh, she had very few relatives. Um, we were her family, the church. But she would say, here's $100, and she'd start paying. She I want to pay for Vacation Bible School. And so she'd give us seven, eight hundred, thousand dollars $1,000, whatever it cost. And by the time we had Vacation Bible School, we had the money in hand. We were ready to go. And it was a big deal. She was a generous woman. That was just, she was on a mission with God. And I could tell you story after story about her life, of the way she blessed people just constantly. And so God does call us on a mission if we'll listen to the Lord. Uh, I'm really sad we couldn't see the 
video. Lynn, would you stand up? I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to anyhow, I guess. Just give Lynn a round of applause, and I'll explain why. Thank you. Thanks. We'll, we'll get the video together, but there's a great video of her, and then there's another one of her husband. They have been missionaries for a number of years. They left Ventura. Now, I guess everybody in Ventura County wants to get out of there, right? Such a bad place to be. I mean, they left Ventura to go to Key Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, as missionaries. And she works with women there. They work in a school there that trains pastors. It has to do not only with theological education, but all kinds of ways in which she's helping women start business and do agriculture. And, and she's been serving there a long time. We, and I had no idea she's going to be here this morning. And I picked that video. Uh, I'm broken hearted. You can't see it. But anyhow, uh, it's great to have her here. God called you on mission, right? And you've been serving there, a tough place. Joyce and I were privileged to be there in 2001. I mean, no electricity. It's a place by the river. That's where we took our bath. It's amazing. And they're serving there because God calls us on mission. Um, I've shared openly, tried to share that I want to become a bridge of love myself. And so one way I try to do that is to get out of the church and actually meet somebody that doesn't go to church, a non-Christian. Because I could fill up my whole world and my whole days with just people like you. And they're good people, but that's not my mission in life, is it? Just to be around Christians? Our mission is to reach out. So down at the coffee shop, I've met a guy, Sam, three or four years ago. He plays in a rock band. I've gone to hear him play. We strike up conversation. We've done a little bike riding together. And recently he said, Steve, uh, would you marry us? He's getting married to his girlfriend, Julie. I said, sure, but, and I could see the tension come, but uh, I do premarital counseling for people I marry. And he said, always? I said, always. What's that? And so I explained to him, and I could sort of feel the tension. You know, I said, I was being relaxed. I said, you know, it's no big deal, Sam. If you'd like to do it, fine. If not, fine. It's just, I think, very important. Well, let me talk to Julie. So he did, and they said yes, and we've just wrapped up the premarital counseling. Now, this is a couple. She grew up in church, and uh, he has never been in church. He came here once. He knows nothing about the Bible or God. And so it's been a wonderful opportunity to talk to him and become a bridge. Well, yesterday we had the wedding out in Piru. It was an outdoor wedding at a beautiful little ranch. We had a great time. And uh, I did my wedding thing, you know, and I said to both of them, you know, I'm there to ask Christ's blessing on this event and to talk about that. And they said, that's fine, even though they don't believe. Well, after the service, and this is the point of it all, you know, I have agreed to marry Sam and Julie. I've reached out to them because I want to know people far from God and see if God can use me in their lives. I mean, that's what we should all be doing as believers, right? And so I strategically try to place myself where there aren't any Christians. Sometimes it's happier there anyhow, so uh, sorry. <laughs> so anyhow, after the service yesterday, um, it was amazing to me because the first person that came up was Walt, and he was a former Lutheran missionary, and that's Sam's uncle. He said, you know, I came here expecting a secular wedding, and then you show up. He said, this is amazing. And he was thankful. Then another woman came up, who's from Ventura, and she said, you know, Julie's mom is my prayer partner. We've been praying together for 30 years, and we pray for Sam and Julie. Thank you. That happened about half a dozen times, and I realized, wow, I'm just a small piece in this great big puzzle that's trying to reach out with God's love to Sam and Julie. You understand what I'm saying? When we are available to join God in mission, God will send us on mission. So I want to wrap up and just say, let, let's go on mission. Will you be willing to be used of God and join God in mission? Here's the last verse I want us to read together, if you could. 
We'll put that up there. And the question is, will you join God on mission? And that's a, a daily question we need to ask ourselves whether we're willing. Um, let's read this. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. We, as we come to Christ, God saves us and then he sends us on mission. That's what he does. Now, we had a great Sunday last week. People joined the church. They were baptized. We had lunch together, and we set up the park and the gym, and then we held the event and wrapped up, and it was just a great day. And uh, we went home exhausted, but that's a good kind of tired. I like that kind of tired. Joyce went over the, the uh, cards, the registration cards, and uh, we did a, Jennifer just did a phenomenal job of leading this, and many, many people worked hard. We had over 200 people register. In addition to that, we had 60-some volunteers. Now, how many of you were a volunteer? You did something to do. Maybe you brought candy. Maybe you set up or swept up or whatever. Would you stand if you helped out with the Harvest Festival last week? Just stand up. I want to say thank you. That's great. A lot of us. Now, you were on mission, right? Yeah. Thank you. You were on a mission with God. Now, uh, we have a big event coming up in December on the 16th. It's our 65th carol service, and the choir is going to start getting ready for that, right, Ted? Oh, yeah. They're already getting ready. They've been working since September. But is it too late for somebody to join? Not at, all. Not at all. So there's another way you could say, I'm joining God on mission. I'm going to sing in the choir and prepare the next six or eight weeks. That's another opportunity. Ruth Jameson and many work with children. That's another opportunity. There are all sorts of ways to go on mission, and I'm just in lifting up a few. In fact, on the worship folder, I've uh, concluded by giving you some check-off boxes to help you think about, will you join God on mission? What might that mission be? And one of them, of course, I want to emphasize a special gift from you to the World Mission Offering. That's one way to give. So let's go on mission, and God bless us as we go. Okay? Join me in that. Let me pray for you and for me. Lord, we want to be on mission with you. It's a big world. It's a world with a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of injustice, a lot of poverty, a lot of sickness, a lot of brokenness, a lot of dysfunction. And Lord, at least in some way, we're healthy and whole. We've got ways in which we can give and contribute. Father, it's not our mission. Help us to remember that. It's not our church. It's your church. It's your mission. And we pray that you would send us forth as laborers into your harvest field. Thank you for uh, so many folks that have joined you in mission here in the church in many, many ways. May it yet increase in Christ's name. Amen.